let me add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. Uh, again, my name is Ben. It's my great privilege to open God's Word with you today, this Palm Sunday. And we'll be reading about a woman who, uh, in preparation for uh, Jesus' death, does a wonderful, beautiful act for him. And in doing so, she prepares our hearts to receive again the wonder of the gospel. And so in Mark chapter 14, today, I'll be reading verses 3 through 9. This is God's word. And while Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, What she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, would would this woman serve as our tutor today, leading us to a place of pure devotion? where we pour out our hearts in love and in service to you. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, This woman's act is described as Jesus as beautiful. And so I've found a number of paintings that depict this scene from artists from around the world. They'll be scrolling while I preach. And you can look at how they display what Mary has done. This woman is preparing our hearts to receive again the wonders of Holy Week by showing us what a heart looks like that gets it that gets what's happening, what true devotion to Jesus looks like. 
The text is full of treasures, and so I'm just going to jump in. Verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper. Let's just stop there and consider that. Let's notice the context, the location, the house, the person. The location is Bethany. And Jesus is being hosted by a certain man named Simon the leper. The person who does the beautiful act for Jesus is a woman. All of those in themselves are important details. Mark is a very short book and every detail matters. All of these things are outsiders of some sort. Geographical outsiders, religious outsiders, social outsiders. Take Bethany. Jerusalem was the center of Jewish worship. Bethany was outside of Jerusalem in the shadows. Guess who everyone was talking about in Jerusalem? Jesus. You don't think he could have gotten a room there? Closer to where the action is? That's not where he stays. Every night, he goes back to Bethany. And here he's being hosted by Simon, the leper. A strange nickname. Not the leopard. That would be cool. (laughs) But the leper. So he would have suffered leprosy at some point in his life. And the fact that he is hosting this meal is telling us that he was healed, (laughs) likely by Jesus. But the name stuck. He was still known as Simon the leper. Can you imagine having your nickname be the most painful part of your life? Like John the divorced. Maria the felon, then the unloved. In Jewish society, a leper was untouchable. And even healed, there seemed to be a lingering stigma to this. And then there was the woman. A woman in a male-dominated world, already an outsider. And so one commentator notes, just on these details alone, he says, The naming of Bethany, Simon the leper, and the woman all underscore that this place, this house, and this woman are those from whom we would least expect an act of exemplary discipleship to come from. But from this most unexpected corner comes the act of true and pure devotion that supersedes anything that transpired beforehand. It's telling us that God is near the humble and that the power brokers and cultural insiders who consider places like this and people like this unimportant to God is in their midst because they are the ones that get it. And so Jesus is at work. For those with painful nicknames, with painful marks on our past. For those who live in the shadows and on the margins. 
for those who are nameless. Holy Week is for you. Mark is saying that Jesus is reclining at a table of fellowship with folks like that, not because being an outsider makes us worthy, but because those who know what it's like to be on the outside sense their need. They are familiar with brokenness. They are open to what Jesus has to offer. So that's the context. Now let's turn our attention to the main event, the act of this woman. Continuing in verse 3. As Jesus was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Let's pay attention to every detail. The woman is nameless, but Mark probably knew who she was. The thing is, is he doesn't want us to focus on who she is. He wants to highlight her actions. Perhaps the point in leaving her nameless is so that we can more easily see ourselves in her. But we know who she was because John tells us in his gospel, this was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And what does she do? Well, first, she interrupts a meal, which would have been a breach of etiquette at this time. But she doesn't care, and neither does Jesus. He doesn't care about societal mores that don't reflect his kingdom. He doesn't mind the interruption. He commends it. She interrupts the meal and comes in with an alabaster flask full of perfume. So imagine a bottle with a long neck, likely with a small plug on the top in which small drops of perfume could come out. And we're talking probably 16 to 32 ounces of perfume. Stanley water bottle sized flat, you know? Just imagine that filled with perfume. The flask itself was alabaster, so white like marble, and itself would have been expensive, and its contents even more so. So it's pure nard, a perfume made from an Indian root of the same name. Perfume is still made from this root. Very hard to come by in those days. The disciples give us some sense of the value of this perfume when they said it cost more than 300 denarii. So a denarii, one denarii is a single day's payment for the average Israelite worker. And so 300 denarii would have been a year's salary. Think about that. How much do you make in a year? Okay, it's all in that Stanley bottle filled with perfume. And the cost to the woman is increased when we consider that this was likely an heirloom 
passed down in her family and kind of tied to her financial security. You have to ask, why have this much perfume? Well, in those days, you didn't have banks to hold your money. There were no 401ks or 403bs or stocks or bonds. And so you invested in things like this. And these heirlooms that could be useful to your family, but also could be sold in a pinch. So this was her financial safety net. And along the way, you know, it's good to have perfume like this to offer as a refreshing gift to your guests. This was the precursor to Axe body spray. This was the precursor to deodorant. It is a desert environment, hot. You don't, you don't have access to the kind of perfumes and bathings we have today. So it was a gesture of kindness, not only to the individual, but to everyone in their proximity to be able to add a few drops of perfume, especially if you're reclining at a table, which is why you washed feet. Your feet are exposed and you're closer to everyone's feet than you were before. And so it was customary to drop a few drops of perfume to give that, especially on the feet. A flask like this would have lasted a long time. It could have been used to anoint guests for generations. Stretched out, handed down, available to be sold in a pinch. What this woman does with this flask is extravagant. It's over the top. So the woman comes in, interrupts the meal. She comes in and she doesn't just pour the, the ointment or the perfume out of the flask. She doesn't just dabble. She breaks the flask. And she pours the entire contents over his head. Now in the Gospel of John, people like to point out that it says there that she wiped his feet John focuses on the feet, and here it's the head, so which one was it? And I think what we're supposed to say is when you consider the volume of perfume that the woman breaks and pours on Jesus' head, it doesn't just dab its hair, it covers his body from head to toe. It was a minor bath of precious ointment that's taking place. And so you just, this is one of the ones you just got to envision in your mind's eye and absorb the moment. A woman who I don't know if she fully understands what's about to happen, but she knows that Jesus has said that he's going to die and she loves him. She senses the magnitude of, of what this meek means for him. And so she bursts into this dinner party and in a moment of great intimacy she brings the perfume and she nears Jesus and I don't know if she was just planning on dabbing it but when she gets there she breaks it her heart explodes with devotion and she pours out the perfume guiding it with her hands over her hair 
kneeling down to his feet, spreading the remaining nard over his feet with her hair and tears. And the room explodes with fragrance. What a moment. She gets it. The disciples don't. And how do they respond to her? Verse 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. It's clear that they don't get it. They say it's wasteful. I think in two ways. First, it was too much. It was extravagant. Mary, please, you're making us uncomfortable. Let's not get carried away. And the second way that they think it's wasteful is that this, this money could have been used to serve the poor. You know, it's interesting. There are some people who follow Jesus to the degree that he aligns with their particular mission or cause in the world. To the degree that he can make things happen for them, they will follow him. But some, the true follower of Jesus loves Jesus just for Jesus, not for what he can do for you. They mock her. She doesn't care what they think. I love that about this woman. And how does Jesus respond to them? He says, leave her alone. Uh Uh-oh, you just picked a fight with the Son of God. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Stop bothering her. She is the only one who sees and has some sense of the magnitude of what's going to occur. And if you understood what she understood, if you saw what she saw, you wouldn't be questioning her gift. The only question you would raise is why is her gift so small? But they were blind to the weight of the moment. And so Jesus says in verse 7, For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In other words, they were right to value the poor, but they were wrong not to sense the significance of this moment. This moment unparalleled in the history of the universe, the Son of Man, creator of all things, was about to die for us. 
And Mary's gift showed that she understood. She sensed the weight of it all. And she was thanking Jesus in advance for him giving his life for her. And as such, she is a model for us. She got it. She was a fool for Christ. And her avish, lavish act of love towards Jesus tutors us. It is a model of true devotion. So the question is, how do we follow her this Holy Week? After all, we can't dump perfume on Jesus. How do we respond? I think in three ways. The first is we consider the costliness of her gift. And you could think in financial terms. It certainly cost Mary financially to love Jesus. But its implications go beyond that. There was a social cost. She was rebuked for her love of Jesus and her devotion to him. Do you know what that's like? To be in a world who doesn't understand your love for Christ. She didn't care. Every time you don't care what other people think when you follow Jesus, you know what Jesus says? She did a beautiful thing for me. I think about what it means to follow Jesus with our bodies, our sexuality. For a modern person, it may feel restraining to have any restraints on your body. It may feel antiquated to follow the Bible when it says what we should do in our bedrooms. I think about one friend of mine uh, who has made a choice I'll let them tell their own story, but they have made the choice to remain celibate because they believe that that's what Jesus would have them do. The world looks at them like they're crazy. And you know what Jesus says to him? He has done a beautiful thing for me. It's costly to follow Jesus in his call to forgive What this passage is saying is that our wealth, our reputations, our body, our lives, it's all cheap compared to Jesus' supreme value. We can consider the costliness of the gift. We can also consider the extravagance of it. The disciples called for moderation. We live in a culture where the only thing we're asked to moderate is our devotion to Jesus. No one is asked to moderate when it comes to money or success or physical wellness or or beauty, but when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, moderation, please. And so we watch 52 hours of Netflix because a new show has come on that's bingeable, But if you spent 52 hours in prayer, people would say, I'm worried about you. 
You spend $5,000 on an amazing vacation. And listen, I am not anti-vacation. But if you spent $5,000 on a missions trip to support a missionary, to visit a movement of God's spirit somewhere, people would say, that's not necessary. Just staying up all night in prayer. Weird. Just getting away on a whim to an Airbnb all night. Normal. What this text is saying is that what we consider reasonable is often an inappropriate response to the person of Jesus. No wife is waiting for her husband to give them a reasonable anniversary. And our God isn't waiting for a reasonable response from our hearts. So let's not dab Jesus with our normal schedules. Let's not always concern ourselves with sustainability. Let's not get so caught up in the daily grind that we miss our chance to be fools for Christ. Because there are moments in our lives, beloved, when you have to break the bottle. And we do it for so many other things. We sacrifice so much for something like youth sports. That's okay. But for Jesus, sometimes you got to break the bottle. Sometimes the pearl appears and you got to sell everything to get it. There are moments with joy when you have a realization that I found a treasure in a field and the field is worth nothing if the treasure isn't in it. So I got to buy that field. When we don't, moments when we don't pray cautious prayers, we pray wild prayers, we pray to the God of the Bible, not the God of the American church. Because when you do, you'll have no idea where he'll send you, what he'll say to you, who you might become. Give God your heart, not in moderation. We consider the costliness of the gift. We consider the extravagance of it. And then finally, we consider her motivation. This is what I've been thinking about all week. This was not done out of duty. You know, this wasn't an ought or a should. And she wasn't doing it out of utility. She wasn't doing it because it served her in some way. The only reason why you would do this act is because you thought Jesus was beautiful. Beautiful. And how do we, can we reclaim our first love? There are so many of us who do the religion thing, the Christian thing out of duty. So many people who follow Jesus because he serves them in some way. But can we reclaim a sense of his beauty? To do that, we need to look where Mary looked, to his death. And we do, when we do that, we see Jesus on the cross. 
And when you look at Jesus on the cross, what you see is the true broken vessel of incommensurable value. We look at Jesus on the cross, given for us, his life poured out to cover us in love. We look to Jesus and we see the Father's pure devotion for us. The Father who did not give up an heirloom, but who gave up the heir, the heir of his kingdom, his son, in order to claim us. His human body, a fragile flask, broken, and what was poured out was the perfume of grace. Mary's devotion filled the room. Christ's devotion fills our lives and has filled the world. And to the degree that we see this, this this perfume of grace that has been poured out on us, my goodness, that's what changes us. The aroma of grace, it fills the room of our lives. And the kicker is that Jesus... The Father didn't do this because we were useful to Him. Somehow we were beautiful to Him. And so let's take the week. Consider what He's worth. What might it cost us to respond appropriately? What might it look like to do something beautiful for Him? Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this act of pure devotion and love on behalf that Mary rendered to you. Lord, I pray that over this week, as we open our hearts to you again, that we would be able to reclaim our first love. Show us the way of true devotion. Show us your beauty and your worth. Remind us again this holy week of why we loved you. Help us to focus on the cross and let it move us to acts of pure devotion like this. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.